seek out the unknown, right? Like it may scare you, but ultimately the privilege that we have of having able bodies and minds and financial bank accounts to be able to do this stuff is something that it might scare you to go after, but you have, you that has to be the next thing. Running a hundred miles seems impossible and maybe even kind of crazy. And it is, but we believe in big crazy dreams. That's why we ran 100 miles. It was such a life-changing experience for us, we decided to devote this podcast to preparing and inspiring you to run your first ultra race. Are you ready to feel the highest highs and the lowest lows? Are you ready to do what you once thought was impossible? Are you ready for your trail to 100? Thank you for joining us here on Trail to 100, the podcast made to help you finish your first 100-mile race. My name is Jacob Bateman, and joined along with me is my beautiful and lovely wife, Melody. Today, before we get to our guests, we just wanted to share with you guys who have not already heard, we have launched our website, that's right, trailto100.com, where we bring you more content to help you finish your first 100-mile race. So that's what we're all about here. And we have free strength training downloads on there. We have the spotlight of our guests each week on there. We even have some awesome swag. That's right. You can now buy a Trail to 100 t-shirt if you're looking on YouTube. I'm holding up my shirt. It's pretty sweet. Trail to 100. It's got that dark green color. Anyways, so you can buy some swag and all that money that you spend on the website, either through coaching. There's also more about our coaching on there and the plans that we offer, whether it's through coaching or whether it's through purchasing some swag, which we have more that we're coming out with soon. It all goes back into the podcast, guys, to help continue to grow this movement so that we can help more and more people reach that 100-mile goal. So go check it out, trailto100.com. On top of that, our guest today is going to help you gain that knowledge that you need to finish your first 100-mile race. That's right. We are talking with Kyle Osborne. Kyle decided to go after his first 100-mile race, and I will try not to give any spoilers away here in this intro, but he did it self-supported. That's right. He decided to map out his own course with his own crew and pacers and try to figure out how to do it on his own around his hometown area. So mad respect goes out to Kyle for doing that. It's a very hard thing to run a self-supported 100-mile race, which we are going to find out as he talks about it and we do a before and after with Kyle we interviewed him just a few days before his race and then we got him a few days after his race and so we get the raw experience of what it was like right before and all the emotions that went in and all the emotions that went into the right after and his thoughts coming away from that 100 mile run so anyways let's get to it let's hear how Kyle Osborne did on his first 100-mile attempt. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Yes, my pleasure. I'm excited to answer some questions, and maybe you guys can ask me some questions I can fire back at you and learn some stuff <laughs> together here. <laughs> Bring oh, it on. We're, we're excited yes. because you are, what did you just say, 36 hours away from your first 100-mile race. And not only... Is it just a hundred mile, you know, run? You are doing it self-supported, not an official. How does that even come to be? What makes you decide I want to run a hundred miles? And then not only that, I don't want to do it in a race. I want to do my own hundred miles. The short answer is I don't think I really like people that much. So I wanted to do it on my own. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think uh, a lot of ultra runners can relate to that. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's part of being an ultra runner, right? You want to be in the mountains, and typically there's not a lot of people out there. The downside <laughs> to being that is I'm deadly afraid of bears, so we'll we'll see what wins on this run. What's scarier, people or bears? I don't know. And yeah, yeah. for our listeners out there, you live in Montana, correct? I, I live in Montana. I live in the capital in Helena. Yep. Good old bear country, right in the heart of it. Yeah, there was a grizzly that was seen in the trails that I run regularly last week, which isn't typical. So um, hopefully I don't run into the grizzly, but if we do, hopefully we can be friends and just 
say hi and bye real quick. And then you have a really cool story about when you ran into a grizzly bear on the trails. Yeah, well, being in Montana, I already have one of those, and uh, yeah, oh. I, it wasn't too it wasn't too exciting. It was just we saw it. We went. We were going to go fishing. There's a place in Montana called the Bob Marshall Wilderness, which is I believe it's the biggest area of grizzlies in one area in the U.S. And so we wanted to go fishing in that area for. Who knows why? There's thousands of places to go fishing, and we decided we wanted to go to the Bob to go fishing. And <laughs> we were like a mile hike in, and a deer comes trotting across the trail about 50 yards in front of us. And I was like, it's a pretty fast trot for a deer just to like be moseying through the woods. And it was definitely a run because there was a bear right behind it. And I was wow. like, nope, I am not. I'm not passing that trail where that bear just ran. I'm not going any further. <laughs> I ruined our fishing trip that day. We turned around and went back home, and my guys still give me crap for it. But that's, well, uh, the fishing trip would have been way worse if you were mauled by a grizzly bear. So I, I think I think you made a good choice. Also, when you're telling the story, I was kind of expecting you to be like, "We saw this deer come out, and then this grizzly bear just jumped on top of it and attacked it." That would have been a cool thing to see. That would have been a cool thing to see. Yeah. With this decision to run a hundred miles, Kyle. Like, where did this idea even generate from? Because from my understanding, you've only been running a couple years. And most people who run a couple years are still, be, you know, like in that half marathon range, you know, and aren't even considering 100 miles. So what made you expedite this process or want to jump, you know, a little quicker than normal to that distance? Probably a pretty inflated self-ego, right? <laughs> uh, I ran track through high school. The farthest that I ran a track as a race was a 300 meter hurdles. I'm not nice. a, a distance runner by any means. I did win the sophomore only statewide mile race my sophomore year of high school with zero training. And so, you know, wow. I probably look back on that and be like, man, you could have been in the Olympics, I just stayed with it, but I hated long distance. I did not enjoy it. So you fast forward from age 17 to I'm 37 now. Two years ago, I made a smart ass comment to my girlfriend and said, hey, we should do the local half marathon this year. And two days later, my inbox blows up and I get a confirmation of a half marathon race I was just signed up for. And he goes kind of took over and was like, dude, you're not backing down. We did the half marathon. I was able to jog for three miles and I had pretty excruciating left knee pain for the next 10 miles that I walked. The only PR I set was accomplishing it, but it probably fed into my ego. It was like, dude, you just ran a half marathon, mostly walked, but you did it with no training. And so then I said, it's a great idea to do this next year. And I did like five days of training before it. And I was able to, <laughs> I was able to jog the entire thing. The last three miles, I was cramping up so bad. I was pretty much dragging my entire left side. But I went out and I, I got the mile average that I wanted to. I did an eight and a half minute mile for 13 miles. Nice. And I was super stoked. But I put my runner's bib on my shirt and I was so hot because you know, at the start of the race, it was raining and then it got super, super hot. So I took my shirt off and I was holding it in my hand. And halfway through the race, some lady's like, hey, I need to see your bib. And I was like, I have no idea. So I, I, I didn't even know what the heck a bib was for. So I just threw her <laughs> my entire t-shirt and bib and I kept running. So I didn't even get an official finish time that year because I only ran half the race with a bib. Luckily, I had my Strava on my phone running, so I, I knew what I finished at. But that was my first two long distances. After that second half marathon last year, I realized that I felt pretty good running. Like, I just happiness-wise, I felt pretty... Like, it was excruciating. It was really hard, you know? Like, my lungs were burning, all of that first-time stuff that runners get. And I was like, man, you know, I know we have at least one cool trail system in town. And I chose to start exploring it. I realized how awesome of a trail system we have. I'm obviously have very little experience with other cities, but as far as what I can tell from the little bit amount of time that I've been in the ultra running world, Helena hands down has the best trail running system in the state of Montana, as far as mm -hmm. different trails and total my eyes just like we're exposed to this whole new world. I was checking off this boxes of being away from people. I was checking off the box of I was happier. I 
been into getting healthy, physically healthy my entire life by lifting weights since I was 12. And so I had this whole new way to physically challenge myself and get better and get away from people and explore the state that I choose to live in because it's so beautiful outside. So it was just like all of these things that was checking the boxes off. And I was like, there's no reason I would not want to go outside and run all the time. I just kept running and running and running. And then I was like, okay, you're competitive-ish, but you always like to have like a challenge, not necessarily to beat someone else, but just to challenge yourself. During COVID, I started doing monthly challenges to where you would start on like day one and you do five push-ups, And each day you would increase the push-ups by five total. And so by the end of the month, you'd be doing 150 push-ups or whatever it is. And so nice. I love challenging myself. When I asked myself, what am I doing other than just running? I said, you know what? I'm going to run back home. And I live in Helena. I'm from Butte. As far as the interstate goes, it's a 70 mile drive via cars. So then I was like, all right, I'm going to get on Strava. And I know that there is the CDT, the Continental Divide Trail that people run and bike from Canada all the way down to New Mexico or Mexico every year. And it takes them like three months. I was like, I bet that's an awesome trail and it's kind of in my backyard. Why don't I see if I can run a portion of that all the way back to my parents' house in Butte and call it the home to home. And then I was like, man, that is sketchy and it's cool and it makes me feel good. And so I made a route on Strava and it was 83.7 miles. And I was like, holy shit. Like that just got heavy. (laughs) That's a lot of miles. Like the first I've ran is a half marathon. I have no idea how I could do that or if I should do that. So I let it sit. And it just like, I just sat with it. I didn't tell anyone about it. I just kept running. You know, I didn't do anything over a half marathon for a while. And at some point I was like, man, you need to have something to be working towards. Otherwise you're not going to be as satisfied as you could. So I told one person and then I told another person and then it became a thing to where it was verbalized externally enough to where Kyle is running from his house to his parents' house in Butte, and he is crazy. Then I went in January and ran my first ultra. I had no <laughs> idea what electrolytes were, what fruit does, what glucose does, how much water, how many calories, your sweat rate, all that stuff. And so I committed to it, and I'm I'm a kind of person who I've been setting New Year's resolution commitments since like 2010. So I what I would do is I would take something off for the year, right? The very first one is I will not drink any soda for this entire year. Serve me super well. I've drank four sodas in this entirety in 13 years, right? I've taken alcohol off for two entire years. I've taken social media off for a year. So when I make a commitment, I don't take it lightly. It's not just a new year's resolution. It's not just saying this is something that I want to do. There is something in my head that flips, that switches. And for whatever reason, I can't not do it. So I completed it. I bonked hard. I did nothing for like 10 days. And so that's kind of like <laughs> how I got up to and through. I think once I did that and I completed it, I realized that people who are not ultra runners will not understand this, but people who are, they will. Once I finished that, I realized a half marathon is not that far. And since I had my, <laughs> since I had my home back home run at 83.7 miles, I just rounded it up a little bit. And I was like, that's almost only a half marathon more to get to a hundred. And that sure would feel really good. That would feel way yeah. better than this man I ran back home. And so at that moment, I chose to make it a hundred. I love how you're like, I love challenges. I want to grow. And you, you got into this, this kind of groove where you're like, okay, I need some kind of goal. And I love how instead of going to, I think in most people's minds, it makes sense to do a marathon because now you've done two halves. But instead, you're like, I need a goal. I'm going to run 100 miles. (laughs) Yeah. Most people probably go half marathon, 50K, 50 miler, 100K, and repeat some of those in some capacity before they do the 100. Um, Right, right. No, I I love it. I love it. I mean, we weren't as quick. We did we did a marathon and then we did a 50 and then we did a 100. But we've talked to many people who have gone and run 100 miles about a year like you 2 years after they've just first started running. Here's my my question to you. I want to go back to your first ultra. How did you 
figure out that you were bonking and and like where your issues were rather than just like accepting like, Oh, that was really hard. How did you figure out what you needed to change post doing that? So during the race, I had no idea. Yeah. Right. I just knew, I was like, Oh, this is what people talk about when they say entering the pain cave, you're going to enter into. Yep. Cause I was at mile 22 sitting on the side of the trail, talking to my camera thinking, yeah, holy buckets. This is <laughs> all it's talked up to be and more. Like this last 10 miles is going to take me like twice as long as the first in either of the first two laps. So I just thought that it was just part of ultra running and that nutrition wise, I was fine. You know, because I, I had a, as you say that I had the same, same exact way as you think right there. When, when, th- when I first started to hit those long distances, I just thought, yeah. oh, well, I'm just, this is the mental toughness. This is the pain cave part, right? But then yeah. you see other people finish a yeah. hundred mile race and their nutrition's on point and they cross the finish line and they yawn, they sit down and they eat a donut and they're totally fine. And <laughs> you're like, what the heck? <laughs> anyway, so keep going. Yeah. Keep going on how you figured it out. I felt really terrible after and I kind of had the chills. Not kind of. Yeah, I really had the chills and I had no appetite. I wasn't thirsty at all. I was super tired and I used Google and started asking questions about symptoms after running 30 miles. And then I have a friend who made my training program for me. Her name is Jax and she was the first woman to win the world grand slam, which is four ultra runs in on in four different deserts across the world. Cool. So she wow. won that, I think, early early 2010s. And I met her when I was living in Hood River, Oregon. She opened a coffee shop and just started following her on Instagram. And then I, when I started training for the 83.7 mile run, I asked her if she could look over this training program that I just made up. And she's like, I'll do, do one better. I'll make it for you. So nice. She's like, oh, I'll just make you one. <laughs> yeah. So I texted her after my first ultra and she's like, yeah, you bonked, dude. You bonked pretty hard. She's like, you know, if, if it gets any worse, probably go to the hospital, but pretty normal. It's kind of part of the initiation process too, uh, (laughs) unfortunately, but just force as much food and liquid into your body as you possibly can get sleep and don't burn many calories so your body can reabsorb. And it kind of bummed me out that I bonked because up to that point in my life, I've been pretty big into weightlifting. And I realized bonking, it essentially is pulling electrolytes from your muscles to make it to where you have the muscles or the electrolytes to be able to accomplish whatever you're trying to accomplish. And I was like, man, the biggest thing I hate, I hate in life when it comes to working out is getting injured while working out. Cause it's like, I'm trying to do something really cool and fun and bettering myself. And then I hurt myself. It's like counterproductive, you know? So I was like, man, that really sucked that I just like hurt and injured all of these muscles that I've been building for like the last three months. That's a great perspective. I'm grateful that you said that because I think there's a lot of runners who are scared to eat. They're scared of eating too much. First of all, it's it's really hard to eat too much when you're training for an ultra. But I think that's just a little extra motivation to make sure you're eating enough is it it actually really does hurt you and it, it does pull from those muscles. I did want to ask you with your weight training experience, how did you balance the weightlifting on top of the running? I talked to my PT about this on our first meeting and the answer that I told her, I think she was kind of surprised by, but the answer is I try to do as little weight training as possible. And she's like, okay, "Okay, explain that. Here's my mindset going into it is I was about 190 pounds. I had probably 10% or less body fat. I hadn't run anything over half marathon in my entire life. And I knew to be able to add another 87 miles on top of that, that logically it makes sense. The lighter I am, the less extra weight I'm carrying, the easier it'll be not only to move, I'll be able to move faster, but also after I finish, I have a lot higher likelihood of not injuring myself and being able to go and do it again and having my muscles and ligaments break down at a slower rate if I weigh less. And so... I know that muscle 
weighs quite a bit and it's pretty dense and I did not want to put any extra muscle on. What I kind of wanted to do is I wanted to lose any extra body fat that my body would naturally lose. I wasn't going to go on like a diet of super lean food or anything, but I wanted to transform from having like the V taper body, wide shoulders, you know, down to a narrow waist and then like wider legs to kind of like a pyramid type body almost. So all of my muscle in my upper body could move down to my lower body and it would turn into a, not like a one rep max kind of muscle, but a real longevity kind of muscle. And so my mindset was, I know I can do stuff with physically lifting weights. You know, I don't know what I can do as far as running. And I think the best way for me to find that out is to stop one and just do the other one. So I did stretching. I did some ab work. I started this training program in November of 22. So let's call it eight months. I probably lifting actual weights. I probably spent under five hours in eight months of lift of lifting okay. weights or doing body weight activities. So hardly. Okay. So you, you mainly just ran, but you did say that you did throw in abs. So, so you did throw in a little bit of body weight stuff, a little bit of core stuff. It sounds like one of my month long commitments that I did last year was planks. And I started that, I think 30 seconds. And then each day I would add, it was either two or five seconds onto it. Ultimately I ended up at the end of the month doing a five and a half minute plank. I knew that I could do a five and a half minute plank because I had done it in the past. So it was pretty easy every once in a while to just do a two minute plank. And I was like, all right, like, sure. It was, it was just more like an internal battle. You know, I, I knew, I know the physical benefits of lifting weights, of the mobility work, of the stretching, of the hot and cold baths, all that stuff. But I, I wanted to use the acronym KISS, right? Keep it simple, stupid. I didn't want to put, so much effort into all these different things. I wanted to put uh, all of my effort and do just a couple of things. I wanted to do it in a way that to me made the most sense. And to me, the way it makes most sense is to carry the least amount of body weight and not being in the gym, lifting weights and being in the mountains, climbing hills and doing descents and doing side hills and hitting my hip flexors on all that stuff. And I have six different pairs of shoes to run the mountains in and every one is a different brand. It's a different stack height. It's a different drop. And I did that because I know in the gym, when I want to work on my bicep, I have my hand this way, I have my hand this way, I have my hand this way, and I hit my bicep three different ways. So if I can do that same mentality with my shoes and it's going to affect my lower body, in in the same way that that's going to affect a dumbbell in my hand that's kind of was my mindset as far as how i'm getting my quote unquote lifting in when i was running that is so so good for you i always tell people to get at least two different pairs of shoes to switch back and forth if you can get six or ten pairs of shoes that that's even better i think that's awesome i'm kind of seeing your your perspective and, and kind of your your thinking behind not weight training first of all you've done it your whole life so i feel like you have a pretty solid weight training base already so that that was probably safe for you and, and i'm thinking back to mine and jacob's first 50 where we didn't strength train at all either we just ran and well, we didn't even stretch we literally just ran that was it but but <laughs> back then, that's all we could comprehend. Like that's as much as we could process was getting the miles in. And and for us, it, it probably would have been a little bit better if, if we did, if we at least stretched and did a little bit of strength training. But we just didn't know. Um, but but we know now. And now that we understand the miles, now we can start putting the weight training on top of it and the mobility on top of it. So I'm kind of seeing that perspective of like, just focus on one thing at a time. And once you figure this part out, then maybe you can add this. And once you figure that out, then maybe you could add a little bit more or tweak it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, You don't want to overcomplicate your training plan to where it just overwhelms you. Right. Planning your own hundred miles. What it what have been the challenges? What has that been like as you've planned? Because race day now is 30, 32, 36 hours away. What has that been like to plan your own run, 100-mile run? That is a long ways to plan with gear and food and water and, and people meeting you. What's that been like? So far, it's gone great, right? I haven't done it yet. So yeah. uh, 
I haven't found out where my holes were. I've overplanned as far as the drop bags I'm giving everyone to take with them as far as calories and probably good. I mean, I kind of figured out how to do the calories just by the running and the bonking and being like, okay, I need this, this, this. I've tried a dozen different companies, gels and powders and supplements, and then adding in whole food and figuring out what stuff my body craves and stuff. So figuring out the nutrition side of it was honestly the hardest part. Now, I think that would probably be true for anyone, whether you're making yeah. your own hundred or whether you're competing in someone else's hundred. Yeah. Um, and how I often mean, are you like meeting people or, or are you dropping things off beforehand for you to just come pick up or is someone meeting you every so, so and yeah, so miles? How's that? I did drop off all of my volunteers yesterday. So my first, since it's a 50 mile out and back. Oh, I don't even know if I told you that or anyone else. So, okay. So <laughs> it, it, was, it was the home to home, right? Yes. The home to home ended up being not safe enough for my parents to want to back me on this with their <laughs> kind words. And they said, because there is a 30 mile mark from 50 to 80 to where someone would have to hike in to be an aid station for you, we think you should change the route. And I thought immediately to myself, you can go and pound sand. There's no way in hell I'm not running a hundred miles. I've already, this was like a month ago. This was literally like a month away from the race that they told me this. Uh -huh. And so oh, man. I was like, all right, pump the brakes, internalize that. Don't say that out loud. They're looking out for your best interests. <laughs> so I went back to Strava and I was like, how the hell can I do this? There was only one route that I wanted to run. I wanted to run on the CDT because it's an awesome trail. And I love being in the mountains and seeing new stuff. And any of the videos you guys ever see me post on Instagram is always about like the scenery. And that's what... That's the stoke I get from being in the mountains is just the actual scenery. And so oh, I was like, there's no way in hell I'm running on a freaking dirt road or on an asphalt road for a hundred miles. So I was like, all right, is it more about running to your parents' house or is it more about running a hundred miles? It's more about running a hundred miles. So I said, screw it. I'll do a 50 mile out and back. So that's what I'm doing. So I changed the nice. name from the home to home to the home back home. I will actually agree with your parents on this one. <laughs> I I remember, oh, yeah. yeah. I remember. This is insane. I don't know what I'm it like, is. I'm gonna go and run an ultra with no aid station, and I'm gonna be 50 miles in. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah. On my very first so, one, like, what was I, I'm gonna have like an 80 pound backpack that I'm gonna be running 30 miles. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yep. Right. We you were messaging us a few a couple months ago when you were first telling us about it. I remember messaging you over Instagram and I remember you saying that you would have that mile fifty to eighty stretch. And yeah. I don't remember what I said to you. I think like, wow, that sounds like an animal. Like <laughs> but deep down I was thinking, Oh my gosh, that is insane. <laughs> because after having done a few hundreds now, like when you get that deep in, you need aid a little quicker than the normal. Well, especially um, on your first hundred, like yeah. it it gets dangerous. Yeah, like you know? yeah, yeah, like like you can go run thirty miles without aid if you're fresh. Like that, yep. that's True. you can do that. It's going to be hard, but you can do that. But oh, yeah. when you get fifty miles in and you're looking at thirty miles without seeing anybody, and you have to pack your food that whole way, all your water that whole way, that's yeah, it gets a little dangerous there, especially if you're alone. So uh, yeah. I think that was a good audible. <laughs> so that's a long well, way for me to answer the question of my aid stations. From when I leave my house, the first aid station is 12 miles in. The second one is 22 miles in. Third one is 31 miles. Fourth one is 37. Fifth is 41. The sixth is 48 at the six aid station, since I'm at 48 miles, I'm going to run three miles to get to 51. And then I'll turn around and I'll go back to that same aid station and I'll repeat all of those aid stations back. So logistically, it made it way easier for me as well. Yeah, totally. Um, but I'm still not giving up on the home to home because I want to say I ran to my parents' house just in case my girlfriend kicks me out one day and I'm like, all right, well, I know I can run home, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plus there's just something cool right. about that. Like we, we live um, oh, yeah. like in, 
hour drive from my parents and we've talked about like wouldn't it be so cool if we just ran there yeah. <laughs> or like yep. people make jokes like you could just run home and, and we're like what if we yeah. actually did uh, we <laughs> well, always think like a hot tub they have an infrared sauna <laughs> they have a massive shop and i was like man oh, we could have a huge dude. party there everyone yeah. Wants yeah, to they could run like the last five miles with me and we could have a party in the shop i could recover in the hot tub and the infrared for a couple of days and the scene <laughs> out their back porch is awesome. So I was like, man, like I, I, I'm a big visualizer, right? Like literally visualize the steps, the feelings, the food, the weather, your thoughts. And when I had to pivot and visualize a home back home away from the home to home, it took a little bit longer to visualize that because I had so much like excitement and so much yeah. time visualizing that one end. And that one entire long hundred miles in that direction. But I was able to visualize this one too. So we should be good. That's just part of ultra running is making that pivot. Yeah. The the problem solving, right? Yeah, Big for time. sure. So yep. now that we're 32 hours away, day and a half, it is Monday the 19th. You're starting out Wednesday the 21st on this run. How are you feeling? Like, how are the nerves? How's the body? How are you feeling? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting less. And not that I've ever had a ton of confidence because I was telling my buddy this, who he trains at such a low elevation that he has some runs coming up that are higher elevation. He's also training for the Moab 240. He's nice. like, dude, I've never ran past 100. And I was like, dude, you, you have to seek out the unknown, right? Like, it may scare you, but ultimately the privilege that we have of having able bodies and minds and financial bank accounts to be able to do this stuff is something that it might scare you to go after, but you have, you that has to be the next thing. Cause at some point your body is not going to have the experience to be able to go and be like, I know I can do this race. It's just, it's, it's a weird sport. You don't actually train for the run that you ever do other than when you're doing other races that are this length. And so mm-hmm. once you get to that hundred for my buddy, I was like, dude, you have another 150 miles, but guess what? If you break it down into a hundred and a 50, how many hundreds have you ran up to this point? How many fifties have you run up to this point? You know, you can do that distance. And at the end of the day, like the part that probably attracts a lot of people to doing this stuff is the unknown. Like, I don't know what my body is going to do after 30 ish miles. That's the furthest I've ever ran. You know, I don't know what my mind is going to do, but I promise you this. I'm as excited about that as I am about anything. Like the unknown is probably something that excites me more than anything else on this entire training experience of what I'm going to see, of what I've been able to see, of the relationships that I've built. The unknown is just super, super exciting. And I think if you do not, I think if you're not excited about the unknown, then you're doing the wrong thing because with ultra running, like I said, there are people, there's a a buddy of mine who just recently passed away from cancer his third time. And when that happened and when when we all knew it was going to happen, I was like, dude, you like, you are so, so lucky, so lucky. And my mind shifted in a my mind didn't totally shift. I was kind of already going that direction, but it's like, you have this physical ability to do so much more than what you know you can do and what you think you can do that if you don't get so excited about what you don't know you can do, but still go after it, then you're literally wasting this opportunity of a life that you have. Like my buddy doesn't have the opportunity anymore. You know, it was taken from him. He did everything he possibly could trying to beat cancer three times and it beat him. But at the end of the day, he never gave up. And so you're going to say that I have an opportunity to go and run a hundred miles and I don't know after 30 miles if I'll be able to do it or not. And I'm just going to be scared and not do it. Cause I don't know. Like yeah. hell no. Like I enjoy and I say, bring on the unknown and whatever happens happens. But everyone's asking me if I'm going to stop, if I'm going to do a DNF, they don't know what they're asking, but they're asking if I'm going to do a DNF on this and to give my girlfriend's mom some peace of mind and my mom, I said, yes, I will if that's my, if I have to, but that is my last option. And yeah. they don't understand how many options are before that. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, when we, we can totally relate. I feel like when, when your friends and family have never 
done ultras. It just, to a lot of people, it just seems totally crazy. Our family all the time, especially Jacob's mom, is like, Jacob just finished his his uh, third 100, and she's like, so are you going to do another one? And Jacob's like, of course. And she's like, no. <laughs> we're like, you, you do realize this is what we're going to do for the rest of our lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but I, I love that outlook that we get to do this and we have this opportunity to live. So why not live our life to the fullest? And I think that this is a great way to, to really live, to feel those feelings, to experience the highs and the lows, to get out there in nature. It really is a blessing that we get to do stuff like this. I'm kind of just like, you know, at the end of the day, at some point, I'm physically not going to be able to do this stuff. And so right now I'm stacking a bunch of 1% of adding value by running all these miles. And so at some point I'll just be like, you know, I need to start cashing in some of those hundred miles that I ran or those thousand miles that I ran in training of my adding value in the, in the physical capacity, you know, I can still be a good person. Hopefully I have money. I can help others and all that stuff. But another good way to go on about thinking it, if you have to, you know, try to take your mind off of the pain and the suffering that you're going to be going through. Yeah, yeah. Time time to start cashing in. I like that. Well, Kyle, good luck. We as 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 we said earlier on the podcast, we're going to bring you back after the race and hear how it went afterwards, hear about all those other options that were used before the DNF. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how that went, but Good luck. We're going to be cheering for you. And man, it's just mad respect to you for getting out there and doing this and putting together your own race. We're excited. Yeah. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. And I'll do my best to not let anyone down here. That's uh very nerve wracking. Oh, you got it. You got it. You got it. We believe in you. You just keep moving. That's, that's all, right. that's all you got to do. Even when you feel like crap, you just keep moving. My whole thing <laughs> and you know, Training cycles has been baby steps. So I know exactly. that I can just take one more step. And guess what? That's one less step that I, yep. not that I have to take, but it's one less step that I get to take. Yeah, exactly. I love it. And I just have to say your confidence is really impressive to me. I feel like I can't really sense the like jitters and the nervousness and maybe you just hide it really well. I can sense it a little bit, but the vibe that I'm getting is you're just ready to go. So I think that's awesome. Okay. Well, hopefully I can take that in the race day and execute the plan. Let's do it. (laughs) Well, Kyle, it is June 26. So what are we removed? We are like five days removed, four or five days removed from the hundred miler when you set out on your expedition. Right. So We got to know, you know, I followed a little bit of your trip on Instagram of what you were doing and you've been posting some videos since, but just take us through race day. Take, take us to the beginning. How did things start off for you? I was 15 minutes behind from the beginning. So uh, you started a little late. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, there was no hard time since it was my own run. So not bad, but uh, yeah, I, I had eight stations set up with estimates for times. So I wanted to leave at 3 a.m. on the nose so I could either be at my eight stations on time or a little bit early. So the first eight station, I was ran my pace that I expected, but I was 15 minutes behind. So, it, I mean, it worked out. And then from there on, everything got slower and slower and slower <laughs> <laughs> to be expected, I guess. But yeah. 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 So at what was there any like last minute preparations or were you just feeling pretty good to start off with? Like you had everything in check, everything that you felt like you needed and you were just going for it. Yeah. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Yeah. And being my first ever attempt to run a hundred miles and then to on top of that ad that I'm doing this self-supported to where I have to make all of my drop eggs essentially at all these aid stations I'm setting up. You just don't know what you do and don't need, uh, will or won't want. And, you know, at the end of the day, I had more than enough calories, more than enough water, but I just didn't have enough variety in my food. And I think that's the one thing that if I had to take the biggest lesson from it, as far as compete, completing a hundred mile run was I needed more whole food variety. Because at each station two, I had a real big breakfast burrito. 
mm-hmm. and felt real good. And I was like, you know what? I should have had like one big item like that at every aid station, but hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So um, yeah, you live and you learn, right? Yeah. So then, at, at, at what point did it start to like crap start hit the fan? Where you're like, oh man, this is this is about to get real now. You know, there was levels to it. The first twelve miles went awesome, and then from there, I was on a dirt road from mile twelve to mile like forty seven. A lot more dirt road than what I thought. I had never ran or driven the actual course that I set out. I just clicked everywhere on Strava. Yeah. And so once I left aid station two at mile 23 is where the first problem occurred, where my left ankle, the tendon that goes over that bone that protrudes on the outside of your foot, that tendon started to swell up on me. And not from rolling it or injuring it during the race. It's just, I think this is like the fourth time in my life I've ran 23 miles. And so it started to swell up on me. Same thing with my knee. My right knee did the same thing. And neither of those things that I actually do an injury to. And I haven't had any issues in training with either of those things. So I just knew it was a use thing and that my body was going to be mad at me for the entirety of the rest of the run because I didn't hurt it. And so I just accepted that and moved on. And luckily at mile 33, I got some ibuprofen in me at mile 58. I got some Advil in me, you know, and that took the edge off for a little while, but those were really like the only running speed things that I had issues with at the end of the day, the main culprit for me choosing to quit, to stop at mile 70 was nutrition. And it wasn't that I didn't have enough nutrition in me or water in me. I had plenty of options and I was taking in nutrition and water really well. And I know that I was not only because of how I felt during, but the next day when I woke up, there was no signs of me bonking. Like I wasn't dehydrated. I wasn't achy. I didn't have lack of appetite. I woke up and had a big old breakfast burrito and just like a normal day when you, when I wake up, you know? But the problem for me was my stomach wasn't willing to digest anything that I had available to me to eat or drink. I could put down water and that was fine. But even my super carb powder mix or my spring gels that aren't even a gel, they're kind of like a baby food mixture. You know, my body was just like, nope, you are going to immediately throw up if you try to put anything like that in your body. And that happened at mile 63. And so for seven solid miles, I thought to myself, and I was in that pain cave-ish of going back and forth myself, is it just the pain cave? You know, am I just in a lot of pain? Am I just tired? Am I just more fatigued than I'm used to? And so I tried to get as real and practical and honest with myself as I possibly could for those last seven miles. Because I knew after aid station 10 at mile 70 that... I had six miles uphill and three miles downhill, and it was it was three o'clock in the morning at that point, so I wasn't going to be running through the remainder of the night. I mean, those last seven miles took me about two hours, so I had plenty of time to really have like an honest discussion with myself as to whether I was just not feeling good or if there was something more. And ultimately, I was like, dude, this is a run. This is a goal. Like, you did do really well, but at the end of the day... I'm not interested in putting my body in some sort of a position to where you could cause yourself to bonk or you could cause yourself to get stuck out here and something even worse could happen since it was just a a self-supported run. You know, there was no one the last 20, 30 miles I've kept saying to myself, and I had never said this to myself ever was no one's coming to save you. You have to save yourself. And it wasn't like a, derogatory thing it wasn't like a motivation thing it was just here's the straight facts dude like if you want to get to this next aid station no one's coming to save you you have to save yourself and once i got to that point to where i didn't think i would be able to save myself once i got past aid station 10 and mile 70 then it hit me enough plus a couple other things to where i was just like no like be smart, be practical. You're not out here setting your records. You're not going to let anyone, including yourself down by calling it quits at 70. So really it was just the, my stomach that ultimately I think 
probably is the main culprit here. I can relate to that, actually, as you say that, as I've done a self-supported hundred myself there it, it is almost it does feel a little more dangerous because there is no one else out there on the course with you you are if the crap hits the fan if you know you have to get yourself to the next spot where someone can come pick you up you know nobody is coming out there to help you to get you to help you know you have to get yourself to help and so yeah i think as you think of doing self-supported for our listeners who are, you know, I think self-supported is awesome. It's amazing, but it is a whole nother animal to tackle. Cause yeah. as you said, if you would have been in a race, they might've had those options for the more real food. there, just at their aid stations, right? You don't have to pack all that. And so it's just something like, there's just so much more to think about as you do self-supported. And I guess you can almost say there's the possibility of almost more going wrong yeah. when you do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So how do you feel now, now that it's been a few days and, and I mean, it's hard, it's hard to set a goal and, and to not be able to achieve like, you know, the goal that you thought that you were going to achieve. How are you feeling about that goal and how's your body just feeling in general? You know, my girlfriend asked me a couple of days after, she's like, are you ever going to do this again? And I don't think I'll ever do a self-supported 100 miler again. Now that I know I can do 70 self-supported, I might do 100K self-supported again. But honestly, for me, it wasn't nearly as enjoyable as any of the put on events, other ultras that I've been part of. Which kind of was weird to me because I enjoy being out in the mountains running and training by myself so much. I was like, this will be like my training on steroids. But it was not that at all. The, the additional stress that I had while I was running that everyone was going to be where I needed them to be. And honestly, the fear of not being over any of the trail besides the first 12 miles was actually real. And the fact that there was no one else out there making noise and hooting and hollering at possible bears or other humans who might not like me running through a dirt road for whatever reason, it was very real like fear that I had. So I don't think I'll ever do another self-supported one. I'm definitely going to continue to run. I feel way better and way happier running. I got a few friends who want me to pace them in the crazy mountains 100 here in montana in august so depending on how i feel my right knee is really the only thing that ha i'm having issues with and i think that was just a a usage thing so i think just a few more days taking it easy maybe walking a couple miles here and there my knee should be back to normal because like i said i never had any issues with it before i'm definitely wanting to go for another 100 at some point but it will be a big like fun really scenic race where i get to run with some of my friends and meet some new people along the way so that's kind of the plan going yeah forward. yeah well i mean that sounds like a that sounds like a great plan i know i after my first self-supported 100 it, it it definitely took me actually it took me almost a year before i felt ready that i was gonna wanted wanted to go for it again i know a lot of people are just like they just know immediately afterwards like yeah i'm gonna do it again but that's not everyone's case. And, and I respect that. Yeah. It, if you're going to make this decision again, you got to make sure that you're making it for the right reasons that you're ready for it again. You know, that, that this is something you really do want. Cause this isn't just some, this isn't just something anyone can chase half heartedly. You're like, yeah, I think I'll do it. You know, like you yeah. gotta, you gotta be there and committed, but be great. Be careful. If you go pace your friends at the, Crazy Mountain 100 in August, that that that, that yeah. energy might wear off on you. For sure, man. <laughs> I mean, before we before we move on from the race, though, like I guess you you hinted at this a little bit. So, and for all our runners out there who are might be getting ready for their first hundred, what would you have? You said you if you had changed it up, you would have had more real food at the at yeah. the aid stations or more variety. Could you like? Go into a little more depth about if you had to redo it, what you would have done. Okay. So here, I'll just tell you what I had is I had different flavors of spring food packets, spring energy 
gel. They call them gels, but they're not a gel consistency. I had, shoot, bananas. I had oranges. I had a powdered super carb. I had some candy. I had all of the electrolyte powders from LMNT that I could handle. So a lot of sugars. A lot of sugars. Oh, I had a lot of uh, carbs. I had fruit smoothies at every section. And then I had a bag of jerky at every single aid station. Okay. Did you touch the jerky much? I did. Yeah. Um, you did. Because I naturally, I think, ha- carry more muscle in my body than what I would have preferred or than maybe than most ultra runners. I knew that I didn't want my muscle deteriorating and I thought it'd be logical to have probably more than the average ultra runner taking in protein along my way. So I weighed it all out, broke it into servings. And I think I averaged about six to seven grams of protein per hour. So quite a bit. Yeah. What else did I have? I had chips, some dill pickle chips at every aid station. So, I mean, I felt like it was a pretty good variety, you know, but the couple aid stations where I had, like I said, that breakfast burrito, I had a muffin that they brought for me. Oh, I even had like some chicken tenders and some tater tots. Turns out tater tots are not good. Like they got, <laughs> my mouth was so dry when I bit into that first one, man. I was like, holy buckets. I spit that thing out. I was like, I'm not touching a tater tot the rest of the run. Yeah. Yeah. But I was able to eat the chicken tenders. So that was good. So I, I mean, if I had to redo it, I, I don't know what I would add, you know, because I had a bunch of peanut butter and jellies made up. They were so dry when I bit into them, even though they were a day old refrigerated. My mouth just couldn't like keep on chewing and then swallowing. Yeah. So I don't know, man. Like, wh- what are some other <laughs> foods that, you know, like I know that a couple of HHs on Bennett have had like quesadillas and pancakes and stuff, but yeah. I feel like they're, they're dry too. Yeah. And so, I, maybe my body, my mouth, my digestive system, my stomach, just this is the first time going anything over 30 some miles. And yeah. maybe, you know, you just have to experience it. And then your body's next time's like, okay, like we know what he's doing. Like he's not just throwing random stuff here. He's like on a mission trying to accomplish something. So let's let him like, you know, eat this food, even though maybe it doesn't sound or taste or chew as, as though it, we would prefer to. So. Yeah. What you're saying here, I mean, it's every ultra runner's biggest struggle is nutrition. And and I love how real you're being here about just like flat out, like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And because <laughs> honestly, I'm in this game like five or six years now. And yep. I can tell you, I don't know either. <laughs> yep. Like, Like you heard my recap for my last hundred. My gut was my biggest issue it's just like i try new things yeah like the sandwiches get your mouth dry and it's it's just like this never-ending battle of trying to figure out how to manage the gut and i think it's kind of personal to every single one of us with our guts and and what our guts are used to and what they can handle i know some people barely even plan out their nutrition plan and they just eat whatever the aid station offers and they seem to do fine but other yeah. people like don't even touch what the race provides and they have specific, you know, like there's uh-huh. like the low carb runner, Mike McKnight, yeah. who, does you know, milk, yeah, <laughs> does raw milk literally <laughs> through Coca Dona 250, drank, yeah. drank over two gallons of raw milk. He said at his last stretch, that was his main source of calories. <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it's crazy. And I think what you're saying here, like in what I've learned, it's just, it's almost like a, you know, it's just a trial and error. You learn what works, what doesn't work, you know, and, and you yep. keep what works in your diet as long as you can. And you experiment with new food and, and eventually along the way, I'm hoping cause I still haven't figured it out. <laughs> eventually we'll find it. Right. But uh, yeah. And also just through experience, like I know I would have called my, I would have called my run short on my first hundred mile race, first off, I wouldn't have made any cutoffs if it was an official race, if I hadn't done it self-supported, but because of my gut, what ended up happening is my mom made me chicken noodle soup and it was like 95 degrees outside and I was eating hot chicken noodle soup and that That literally saved me. Yeah. I had ramen at my last aid station. They asked it what I wanted. I said, bring some top ramen, hot or cold. I don't care. And 
I told them I'm done, but I got in the car and they said, you still want the ramen? And I said, hell yeah, that sounds real good. And so, yeah, I think the, the, the watery chicken, beef, whatever flavored noodle soup type stuff. But I mean, yeah. that's, you're not going to have that any aid stations in a race. You know what I mean? You're not going to have some sort of a soup. Some actually do, surprisingly. But th- this last one I did, not all of them. But yeah, like my last eight race at Scout Mountain at mile 75, which helped save my race, they did have chicken noodle soup. And so nice. I did, I drank down a couple little bowls of that. And a lot of races do are starting to make the move to like providing at least broth. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I've noticed that as well, but uh, yeah, it's something to pay attention to when you sign up for a race, right? What do the aid stations have to offer? Big time. It, it's weird. Cause you're like, it's a hundred miles. So it's so long distance wise, but I feel like once you get your mind and body to a physical point, it's not about the distance on like the physical moving your body distance. It's the being able to consume the calories and the water and the liquid uh, supplements. It's like, it's, it's, it's by far the hardest thing, I think. Yeah. Sure. Yep. It sounds like your body, your muscles was sure it was hurting. You were having that knee pain, but that, that was okay. But the gut is what went on you and you yep. weren't able to get in any more calories. And that's what ultimately led to the, to the calling it mile 70. So yeah, dude, I, I think was a lot of, thankful that I bonked on my first ultra when I, I remember my very first ultra and I bonked hard for like 10 days and I'm super thankful for that. Cause I think had I not, I wouldn't have realized how hard I was going to bonk if I would have gone that other nine miles because I wasn't able to eat and it can become a shit show real quick. You know, you can be like, Oh, oh yeah. my gosh, like what just like just all of a sudden. And then when you add additional mileage and you've been going on your feet for over 24 hours, it's like, I don't know but you have to figure out what that bonking is and then you have to run like hell from it because it is not enjoyable at all. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it really isn't. Now, just looking back at the whole experience through the whole training cycle, like you ran more miles this year than it sounds like you've ever ran before. And just basically have gone through the, this has been a totally new experience for you as you got ready for this this run that you were putting together. What are your, what are your main takeaways from just the whole experience in general? If you, what's the, that saying that's super popular right now. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yeah. I would say that if you, if you want to do some cliche phrase, that is about as good as you can get with, if you're sitting out to, try to accomplish running as far as possible. If you're going to do that, you need others. And in this situation, you need others with experience, which would mean entering an organized racing event, you know, and I'm not one who has much of an ego. So I wasn't out there trying to say, oh yeah, like I did this all my own and trying to build a name or sell some program or something. You know, I just thought it'd be much easier to do than what it turned out to be. But for sure, if you want to, if you want to go far, make sure you go with someone else who knows what the heck they're doing. Yeah, no, I think that's, that is great advice. hundred percent. I I don't know how many times I've, I've thought that and learned that as I, especially as I look back my, at my first hundred mile attempt, like, wow, I knew nothing. <laughs> I, I, I just got lucky, you know, that my mom showed up with chicken noodle soup. That's literally, right. you know, I just got lucky. <laughs> but anyways, that, that is great advice. Great advice. So if our listeners wanted to reach out to you, to follow you, find you on social media, how can they do that? Probably just go to my Instagram. My, my name's Kyle Osborne. So I have it as KO's house, K-O-S underscore house on my Instagram. I use social media to be social. That's how I met you guys. You know, I don't actually just post stuff and try to get a bunch of followers and monetize off it. I actually want to meet people who are doing cool stuff and learn from them and build some relationships and just shoot this shit with them and talk about just normal everyday stuff. So I'm, I'm social on there. I definitely talk to people. I definitely reply and ask questions and give feedback. So yeah, I'd, I'd love to 
make some more friends in this ultra running community. And I look forward to whenever I do enter my new race to meeting some new people and learning some stuff and making some friendships for sure. Awesome. Yeah, that's what it's all about. And that's what ultra running really, one of the beauties of this sport is, is just learning from one another, pushing one another, you know, seeing what others are doing and realizing, hey, I think I can do a little more too. So yeah, that's awesome. Well, Kyle, I have mad respect for you. I know it didn't turn out how you wanted to, but you went out there, you gave it your all. You went 70 freaking miles still. <laughs> that is a long ways, you know, and that that's an accomplishment in itself. And also mad respect for being willing to come on and tell your story, even when it didn't turn out as, as you planned, because this kind of stuff is very real in ultras and we need to, you know, sure. We need to celebrate when we do reach our goals, our original goals, but we also need to be real and understand that this is a, these are long distances and stuff can go wrong and it will go wrong. And this, this happens to everybody at, at some point, you know, so thanks for doing that. Oh yeah, man. My pleasure. super exciting news pine tree running is now trail to 100 coaching and jacob is officially a coach that's right so if you're ready to take the next step in your training and run that race you've always wanted to run we would be honored to help guide you on your ultra running journey at trail to 100 coaching you'll receive a custom running plan with strength training options constant communication with your coach and you'll be connected with other runners like you who are also on their trail to 100 if you want to learn more check out our website trail to 100.com please feel free to contact us with any questions you have if you want to run 100 miles make, make it, it happen, happen.